Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. This morning, the third beatitude. Matthew 5, verse 5. Now remember, we said that these are often called beatitudes because that's the Latin translation of the word Jesus begins each one with. Blessing. Jesus is telling us who the blessed by God person is and how it is that they're blessed. We've already seen uh, they are poor in spirit. We've already seen that they mourn and they, they mourn their own sin and evil. Now Jesus adds something else. They are, he says, meek. Meekness. What is it? What isn't it? And how does it manifest itself? Where do we get it if we need it? And we do. And uh, what blessing is in store for the meek? These are the kinds of questions we want to ask of this passage. Let me invite you to hear God's word uh, before we begin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, be our teacher this day. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lift Christ before our eyes and show us both his glory and our need for him. And then make us more like him. So transform us by your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Hollywood heroes are typically strong. They uh, ride high in the saddle. They shoot straighter than most. They are stronger than those they oppose. And so they win at, even at all odds against uh, others. They punch harder. They're portrayed that way typically because our society says strength is what counts. We admire it. The world says be a shark. Not a minnow in the food chain. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the world is ready to laugh at it. And he's often misunderstood. It's an old joke to revise it to say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. If that's okay with the rest of you. Thinking that's what meekness is. But of course, if we think meekness is weakness, then our understanding of it is wrong, as we will see. In fact, only the strong can be meek. So we want to think about meekness, and we want to begin with that first question, what is it? And we might start with, what isn't it? Now, some translations say, blessed are the gentle, and it's not a bad translation. Gentle is also a good translation, because the word in Greek is hard to translate with just one word. It has a shade of nuance of meaning. Some think that meekness means to be weak, as we said, or, or cowardly or passive in the face of aggression. Not true. You have to be strong of the Lord in order to be meek. It's also not a personality trait. Some people think meekness is, you know, just kind of that, that shy, quiet as a church mouse kind of person. They're meek. But, you know, people who are, you know, outgoing, uh, well, they couldn't possibly be meek. To be meek means you're, uh, 
you're a pushover, or you're at least, you know, easygoing, you're phlegmatic about stuff. But meekness isn't a natural disposition. It's not some certain kinds of personalities who have it, God, like, chooses to bless. No, we said all these Beatitudes describe disciples of Jesus. This is what God makes us by his grace. You have to have meekness. It's, in fact, not a natural disposition. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. No one is naturally meek, but it comes from God. It's the life of Christ in us, transforming us to make us like Christ, who is himself, as he says of himself, meek. You remember Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, same word, and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. His meekness is an offer of rest for you. But it's something he is, and it's something he is creating in his people. He treats us meekly, kindly, gently, patiently, with humility. And in him we can rest. So what is meekness? Well, it's actually a word that used of domesticated animals it's a you'd speak of a horse that was broken or broke from its wildness in order to accept control under the hand of a master if it's able to be ridden if it's able to pull a wagon it's not wild and independent it's meek it's the submissive attitude of a person before god Trusting, trusting in God. Uh, where did uh, Jesus get the idea of meekness? He got it. Uh, you might imagine Jesus just made up all the Beatitudes um, on the spot, but actually some of them have a, a, a great backstory. Uh, Jesus found this one in, in Psalm 37. If you wanted to turn there, you can, or just listen in, beginning at verse 3. I want you to hear where Jesus got this. Psalm 37, at verse 3, begins a list of commands that encourage us to place our trust in God. So the psalmist says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord or rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And then he counsels us by contrast. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace. You see where Jesus got this? Meekness is the opposite of those who have a ruthless ambition to fight for themselves and gain what they think they deserve. At the expense of serving God and others. But the meek are those who what? Trust in the Lord. Delight themselves in the Lord. Commit their way to the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. It's the heart of a person, not self-assertive, but living in subjection to God in their lives. It's these who are blessed, he says. 
It's these who shall inherit the earth. So how does it manifest itself in our lives? Meekness works in two directions. It involves how you respond to strength and authority, that of others, in your life. And it's also how you wield strength and authority towards others. Take the first, how you respond to strength and authority of others in your life. Meekness involves submission and respect without rebellion or retaliation. Jesus is the greatest example of this when he was contemplating the cross, which God had appointed him to endure. He was under authority. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done. Now, what cup did he want taken from him? The cup that he was about to drink. The cup of God's wrath poured out against human evil. The cup of God's judgment sinners deserve. Jesus was about to drink that cup to the dregs. So that all who trust in him never have to drink that cup. And Jesus didn't take that lightly. He trembled at the thought of it. He was in agony and sweat like great drops of blood fell from his body. He didn't rush into this headlong thinking it would be a privilege and a joy and easy. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he prayed to the father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If there's any other way for sinners to be saved, let's go that route is the language. And yet, not what I will, but your will be done. I I am submissive. He was never sinful in that request. He submitted himself to the strength and authority of the Father and the Father's plan, the Godhead's plan for the mediator Jesus in our humanity to go to the cross. And he was respectful. He was trusting. He received with meekness the will of God for himself. He didn't rage against God. He didn't lash out angrily. Just as as we sang, thou hast the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast thou and no bitterness. And so by his meekness under the will of God, he becomes the source of salvation for all of us or any who look to him. So, we who are being made Christ-like are to imitate him. Not because we have to suffer or even could suffer God's wrath for others like he did. But because we are called to be submissive to God ourselves, whatever his will for us, even in our own sufferings. And the meek person receives that from the Father. Let me give you a number of illustrations of this. Peter makes this explicit in the way Christian wives are called to relate to their own husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, there are sermons upon sermons about what that means and doesn't mean. Ask me later. But wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. And then he goes on to describe 
the importance of conduct and character and godliness over outwardly adorning yourself with bells and whistles. He says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, that's meek, and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A gentle spirit is a meek spirit, meek before God, meek, he says, towards your husband. It's very precious in the sight of God. How like Christ you are before the Father when you choose this disposition towards your husband, you who are married. Now, lest you think that the New Testament is interested in like plying something on the backs of women or wives that it doesn't require of the rest of us. There's nothing unique here about this other than in that relationship, this is the way it ought to go. But Paul in Galatians 5 reminds us all that meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, meekness. Same word. It's a fruit of the Spirit that every believer must bear and then live out in life. We're all called to meekness. Meekness is important in relating not only to those who have authority over us, whether it's God or, or in a marriage relationship like a husband, but also it's important towards those who use their strength or authority against us. Like in cases of injustice. So Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 to say, But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, that's injustice. You're just following Jesus. And somebody's in some way abusing or insulting you. For Jesus' sake, for righteousness sake. He says you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, in your defense, do this with meekness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Do you hear what he's saying? Be meek and respectful when you defend your hope in Christ to those who ask you, even if they slander you, insult you, uh, dismiss you, or revile you. Don't repay evil for evil. Be meek. And what about those who speak the truth to us? This one I think is harder and maybe more common. It's a good test of meekness how you respond when somebody actually tells you the truth about you even about your own sins and failures. How do you respond? To be meek is to be free of defensiveness. John Stott puts it this way, I think helpfully. I myself, he says, am quite happy to recite the general confession in church. He's speaking of a confession in the Anglican church with this language. And call myself a miserable sinner. I can embrace that language, he says. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in my stride. But let somebody else come up to me after the church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him on the nose, right? In other words, I am not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. There is, he says, a basic hypocrisy here. And there always is when meekness is absent. Can you be critiqued? Can you be corrected? 
Can you be called out without arching your back, stiffening your neck and striking out? The meek can be corrected. So let me ask you some questions. If people tell you the truth, the ugly truth about you, can you own it? (laughs) Or do you refuse to admit it or retaliate right back? Oh, yeah? (laughs) Let me tell you how you're worse. Or how do you handle it when people insult you for following Jesus? Are you meek or do you repay evil for evil? Or if you're a wife and you're getting along with your husband, even if he's not a Christian... Are you meek and respectful towards him? Or do you disdain him and go your own way? And for all Christians here, when God's will calls you to hardship or hard things, do you stiffen your neck or are you submissive? Now that's one direction of meekness. How do you respond to authority and power and strength of somebody else over you? But the other direction of meekness is how you wield strength or authority, power over others. It involves how you treat others when you could hurt others. And here meekness, as is often defined, is power under control. It takes great strength to be gentle. It takes the strength of the Lord. There's, a, I think, a, lots of illustrations of this, of course, over the Bible. But one is David and King Saul. You remember the story of Saul, who was king of Israel, but he had rebelled against the Lord. And so the Lord had promised to take away the kingdom from him and give it to another. And the Lord had ordained David to be the king instead of Saul. And instead of Saul's son, Jonathan, who would have been ordinarily kind of the heir, In the family line. David knew that he would be king. Jonathan knew it too. And to Jonathan's great godliness and credit, he befriended David and acted meekly toward God in a hard providence and meekly toward David in befriending him. But Saul, not so much. He raged against the Lord's decree. He shook his fist at the heavens. He sought to kill David. Right? No meekness there before God. And so you get to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul takes 3,000 men hunting David in the wilderness. And he comes to a cave, Saul does. And he went in, either to relieve himself or to rest. The Hebrew is a little ambiguous. Nobody's quite 100% sure. But, but, but what is clear is that in that darkened cave at the back of it, is David and many of his fighting forces. And Saul doesn't see them or hear them. And so while Saul is doing whatever he's doing, David's men, perhaps we can imagine them whispering to him or signaling to him, David, there he is. Get him. He's under your power. This is your shot to take control of your life, to fulfill the Lord's will, to kill the king. And he didn't. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men. Nobody else took action. And Saul left the cave and went away. But 
Though David hadn't hurt Saul, some of you remember, he had snuck up, cut a piece of a robe off, and David then goes out and he calls after the disappearing Saul, my lord the king, and he tells him the story, I imagine from a distance, how uh, he says, some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the, that fact, I, I, by the fact that I cut the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there's no wrong or treason in my hands. I had a shot and I didn't take it. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. And so he says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. You see what David is doing? He could have used his strength to take vengeance, to secure the kingdom that God had promised him, to take full advantage of this opportunity in secrecy. But he didn't because he committed his cause to God. He relied upon God to do what God said he would do in his life and not to unnaturally and against providence and against God and against morality simply execute the king. Saul, of course, couldn't help but be impressed. He said, you are more righteous than I for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. If a man finds his enemy, will he, not let, will he let him go away safe? So, he says, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So in not promoting his own cause in his own strength, in the unexpected opportunity for personal advantage, this king of Israel, David, was meek and meek like David's greater son, Jesus, who you remember in that garden was surrounded by soldiers Peter, well-intentioned Peter, pulls out his sword and he takes a swipe at the servant of the high priest. And Peter was a better fisherman than a swordsman. And so he missed chopping off the guy's head, but he, he cut down and took off the guy's ear. And Jesus just bends down and he picks up the ear and he puts it back on the guy's head. <laughs> but Jesus says this, put your sword back in its place. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You see what he's saying? I can exert my power. I can be self-assertive. I can use my influence with the heavens above to get what I want here and now against these enemies, but I will wait. Why, he says, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? That I must go and first be insulted and be harmed before people can be saved. Those people who harm and insult. I'd rather be harmed, Jesus says, for their sake. And so like David, like Jesus. Submissive to the will of the Father. Meekness to God. Strength under control. Meekness to others. And so how, un- how uh, frequently, unlike Jesus, we are. Don't you think? Demanding our rights. 
ticked off when others don't honor us, desperate to get our own way, blasting away at all who stand in our way, taking revenge, repaying evil for evil, not waiting on the Lord to defend us. Meekness isn't like that. And so Christians are not so meek, are we? Well, where do we get meekness then? If only the meek inherit the earth, and they do, how do you acquire it? Well, we've already said you can't make yourself meek or meek enough. It's not a natural disposition. But the double grace of the gospel, the double grace we get in the gospel is that Jesus was both meek for you to cover your lack. And Jesus produces meekness in you by the work of his spirit. In many ways, this is the consequence of the first two Beatitudes. Each one, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, suggests the other and leads to the next. I mean, think of the progress of this. So far we've seen blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. And that leads to blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, we said previously God blessed people are poor in spirit because we know our weakness and we know our inability and we have nothing in ourselves to commend us to God. So we have therefore everything to receive from God as a gift. The kingdom of heaven belongs to us through Jesus. We have lost hope in our own merits, our own works, our own meekness, our own spiritual self-sufficiency. So we have put our hopes in Jesus' works and Jesus' merits and Jesus' perfect meekness and his all-sufficiency. And having Jesus as our Savior and our King, his kingdom is ours. We are blessed in him. And so being poor in spirit, we mourn. And we keep on mourning our own iniquity and transgressions and evil. And we are comforted with God's forgiveness, we said, and the promise of being set free from sin forever in everlasting life in heaven. All through Jesus, we're blessed in him. Now, what is that? What do the first two then have to do with meekness? People who enjoy being blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus, yet know that they don't deserve any of it, People who mourn their own sinfulness yet know that they are forgiven are people who can afford to be meek. When you are convinced that in the gospel God is for you and not against you, despite you and who you are and how you've treated God, it shapes then the way that you read providence and his authority. And the way that you relate to others and the way they treat you. You read providence convinced that any good you have from God is a gracious blessing you don't deserve. And even the hard stuff and the bad stuff, and there is real evil. You believe that God is working it for your good which the Bible promises. And you know this because Christ went to the cross and so God is for you and not against you no matter what. So you don't have to rage against the heavens when times are tough 
and you don't think heaven is raging against you, getting you back what you deserve. No, you know you deserve hell, but God gave you heaven. You know you deserve worse than anything you're getting here. And even the hard stuff then is because of Christ. The manifestation of the fatherly love of the Father towards you. So you can then submit to, in meekness, hard providences with a quiet acceptance. And say to yourself, my Father loves me. I may not understand this. I don't like this, but he loves me. And he's teaching me to cling to him. He's teaching me not to cling to this world. He's growing me in patience and hope for everlasting life. And when you're sure then that God is for you and not against you, you can then be meek to others. If somebody hurts you. I mean, we sinners by nature want to repay evil for evil and hurt for hurt. We want to conquer insults with our own insults. But the Christian answer to that is if they revile me or insult me or treat me unjustly, I remember what? That I treated God unjustly and reviled and insulted him. And he did what? He was kind to me. He was gentle with me, meek towards me. He went to the cross for me. And that melts my heart. And it teaches my heart to be willing then to treat others the way that I have been treated by my Savior. So that when others are harsh to me, dear Christian friends, we should ask ourselves, because I know the instinct, I'm going to be harsh right back. When others are harsh to me, do you think, Jesus, were you ever harsh to me? And he wasn't. He was forgiving and forbearing. Let that then melt your heart. Repent of your harshness. Repent of not being like him. And ask him to make you more like himself before this who hurts you. And and more than that. And more than that. If someone does wrong you. Well the meek who inherit the earth can say what can man do to me? After all, how has the Lord blessed me? The earth is my inheritance. Can this person then who cut me off in line or cut me down with their words take away from me truly anything of eternal value? No. The earth is mine. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Not, not this earth with the ex, it's all its despoiled, exploited, Trash heaps and cesspools of human pollution. Not this earth. This is not a promise that if you believe in Jesus as his disciple and you're meek, that you're going to get, you know, oil wells in Texas and orchards in South California and, you know, plots of land on Broadway or whatever in Manhattan. This is not what's being promised. It's a promise that the kingdom of heaven is mine, the new heavens and the new earth are mine. They're my inheritance. No one can rob me of this. I inherited it. I don't merit it. I received it as a gift. I don't purchase it with my meekness. He promised it to me. So I am a co-heir with Christ of all things, the Bible says. Whatever Jesus has, he shares with the poor and needy who are bound to him by faith. 
No one can snatch you out of his hand. So do you see then how Jesus turns everything upside down that the world thinks? Or we might better say what the world has flipped over, Jesus turns right side up. What do I mean? The world rages at the God of providence when it perceives he has frustrated their ambitions. When the world realizes it actually can't have everything. When God thwarts our efforts to stand on top of everyone. The worldly shake their fist at God, right? The world urges us to self-assertion. Use your power and authority and ability for yourself. Assert yourself. Express yourself. Nobody's looking out for you but you. Look out for yourself. Stand up for yourself. Demand your rights. Demand what you've earned. And if you can grab a little extra without anybody knowing, you know, all the better, right? Get it however you can. Try to attain heaven on earth. Conquer the world at the expense of others. And Jesus is the meek or meek. Because they're convinced that God has already given them an inheritance in Christ. Everything belongs to them. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. He belongs to God. You belong to him. You have everything in him. So you can say I have all things that truly matter. No one can take from me anything that's of eternal value. And if they could, I'll get it back from God in the new heavens and the new earth. If they take it from me and it's not of eternal value, so what? It wasn't worth having. And if they take it from me and somehow it is of eternal value, I'll get it back. So I can afford to loan it out. It's not gone from me forever. So you can be meek. Are you? What makes you think that you have the right to rage against God and revile others if you lack meekness is it because you don't know what it is to be poor in spirit and to mourn your own sins do you think you deserve better from God you deserve better from others you deserve better than everybody else and everybody else should bow before you Or do you lack meekness because you fail to see how blessed you are in Jesus? You don't know you're a co-heir with Christ of all things. So you think people are taking things from you that you can never get back. If you believe you're a co-heir, nobody's a threat to you. You can afford then to be gentle, considerate, humble, meek. May the Lord make us so. Let's pray. Father, you know all the evil intentions of the thoughts of our hearts and all the mean, harsh words and the ways we just want to murder one another sometimes. The way that we try to sometimes. Forgive us for not being like you. Have mercy upon us. Cleanse us. Change us. And make us like Jesus. Help us to love. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.